0: This week on Goat Gab, we celebrate a milestone and have a rapid-fire conversation about a myriad of dairy goat-related topics. Join us as we address some of our listeners' questions and share some information that may give you some things to think
1: about. Welcome back, Goat Gabbers, to another exciting rendition of Goat Gab. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Cameron Judlowski.
0: And I'm your other co-host, Laura Warren-Hughes. We are excited to be here and
1: recording together. It's been a difficult week to try to find time to get together. Oh, yeah. It's just been busy here, both you and I, and... and you know, with uh, with the weather and um, you know, kind of what's going on in our personal worlds and goats and our work and everything else. And gosh, Lord, it's just been a crazy week, and it's only Tuesday.
0: Oh, I know, I know. But I'm excited <laughs> to get to record with you tonight. This is yes. I, I was thinking today. This is kind of the highlight of my week, I think. So, um, Goat Gabbers, we're really happy to have you join us and uh, be with us. So, um, to start with,
1: Cameron, we have something to celebrate. Oh yeah. We do big excitement here over a thousand likes on our Facebook page. So for those who liked us, thank you. We do appreciate that. Um, And continue to tell your friends about goat gab as well. There I'm going to do shameless plugs every single week on that as well here. Tell your friends about us as well there. But again, thank you so much for being part of our community.
0: We hope that you all have as much fun with us as we have putting this together. And, and, you know, for our newer, Newer listeners who haven't been with us from the very beginning, our whole thought with doing Goat Gab was uh, giving people a chance to talk goats a little bit, especially in those times when those were few and far between, like during the pandemic when shows were canceled or people couldn't get together or, you know, like right now, most places across the country don't have any shows going on and you get a little bit hungry for talking goats with your friends. so. We are really glad that you're joining us tonight.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm actually wearing my uh, Coats Creek Farm from Maggie, Mississippi shirt right now to celebrate my friends, uh, uh, just, just uh, the Coates Creek uh, uh, gang. So I'm, I'm thinking about goats as we're recording this podcast as well. I wish
0: I had something fun like that to celebrate. I'm wearing my scrubs <laughs> from work. <laughs> <move> in today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Laura, I know you had a busy time here. Uh, busy last couple weeks, but, uh, Laura, what's happening at your place? Um, had a little short trip to Florida to see my, uh, folks
0: and, uh, they don't live in Florida. They're snowbirds and they have a neat little teeny tiny perfect condo right off of, um, West Palm beach. So, uh, my husband and I flew out there to see him for a few days since we didn't get to see him over Christmas and it was great to see them, but, I did not come back with a smidgen of sun because I think it was colder in Florida than what it was in Missouri. Like, oh no. like upper thirties at night. It was just cold. I, I laid uh, out for about, I don't know, a half an hour on the first night we got there. Cause that was probably going to be the warmest day and, and I uh, didn't go in the pool and I decided that, Goose flesh doesn't tan very well. So uh, <laughs> that was kind of the end of it. But it was great to get away. And I got to see something that I've never seen in my life. Cameron, I got to see manatees.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Have you ever okay. seen
1: one? No, I never have.
0: They are the cutest, ugly sea creature that there is. But they are adorable. They were so cute. <laughs> so that was kind of fun. So, oh, yeah. Um, I, yeah. When this airs tomorrow, so when it airs on the 2nd of February, I'm counting down nine days till my first baby's arrived, so I'm kind of excited about that. And uh, we've got got our testing results back from Precision Diagnostics in East Erie, Pennsylvania. They do a great job for me every year, so I'm going to give them a shameless plug, too. And uh, they're quick, and, and they get your results back to you just in days. So I really enjoy working with them and think they do an awesome job. So that's, that is life here. What's going on with you? I, besides oh, traveling.
1: Yeah. So I'm on the road this week for work. I'm in, um, three different, four different States. It feels like here. So, um, I'm away from the farm this week here, but we are expecting 12 to 16 inches. So, uh, before we went, I left, that we hauled hay and picked up grain, just so we had enough in case we would get snowed in type thing here. Um, we did that, and we've got the skid steer already uh, set up and ready to go for if we do get that 12 to 18 inches because um, we'd like to clear paths with it, and we really like doing that as well there. And then all the girls are tucked in. I checked them on the barn cams as well, ready for this snow here. Um, but we did some disbutting on the kids, and I'm excited for that because I, I, got put to, I was supposed to get put to the test there to disbud the kids because we had some bucks for me to practice on. Uh, <laughs> um, but we, what?
0: That sounds like fun.
1: Not. Yeah. It, it, no, I was supposed to, but I spent too much time up at Catherine's actually doing um, some, some beauty clips for some of her nose and um, doing some preg checks and other things there to, to make sure. Cause she'll start kidding here at the end of this week um, into next week as well. So she'll start kidding as well there. So I'll be spending some time up there about every other week, every 10 days or so, checking on things, taking, if we, if they have um, butt kids that, that need to go to the sale bar and I'll take care of those as well. Cause that's what we do with a lot of our butt kids there. So um, I will be helping out with there as much as I can be here while I'm not traveling with during my slower season.
0: So we're supposed to get that snow too, but um, you know, everybody's, running around with their, like a chicken with their head cut off, screaming snow mageddon And I'm looking outside thinking, eh, if we get a half an inch, I'm going to be surprised. Now I you know <laughs> I may be totally wrong, but so many times I've seen them screaming, the sky is falling and it's going to be, you know, everybody's going to be snowed in and then we don't get even a skiff of snow. So we'll have to see. It was snowing just a tiny bit when I got home about an hour ago. So, uh, it, it it might snow. I I don't know. Um so hey Cameron, when you did those yeah. beauty clips on Catherine's does, is that yeah. not almost like Christmas for you?
1: Um, it was it was kinda nice. Like I kinda like a lot of them more mature does, so they're like not like exci- like I already know what it's gonna be there. Except one wasn't like Christmas, it was like, oh, okay, well, uh i don't want to say disappointment but it was less than stellar type thing there um Aww. age is starting to show in one of her nose let's just say that
0: oh that's uh, always
1: sad. yeah yeah that's that's okay though i mean that that's perfectly fine there um uh, but then i did fresh i did clip up a, a first freshening two-year-old which which really exciting really pretty utter there as well so i, I don't know i'm excited though um got some apprehension there um I'm, I'm on pins and needles for one of her goats it's one of her um high ticket ones i'll, I'll call her that or high high rollers i'll call her uh, of that one of her nicer doughs. so i'm on pins and needles to see what happens with her uh, and she's a first freshener as well so um, anxious to That's see fine. yeah, yes just anxious to see kind of how everything shakes out there um, and then what will be there and then I, I feel like i've spending, been spending a lot of time not just thinking about her her but thinking about what our herd's going to look like as well here um, and spending a lot of time this week last week um, really the past whole month of january just trying to find houses so it's looking at houses to, to buy
0: That's got to be frustrating and exciting i would think
1: oh it's the most stressful thing i've ever done and being a first-time house buyer in this market is not great but this is not a real estate podcast
0: no no definitely not <laughs> um, you know we'll keep our fingers crossed for you cameron
1: yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But I will say I have a great real estate agent who also has goats. So that that means a lot because she can always think about things as well uh, from the goat lens as well, and that's that's much appreciated. I would think it would be
0: very tempting to focus more on barns and pastures and fences and potential there, and
1: forget. Oh yeah, we want a house that we're not embarrassed to live in too. Oh yeah, totally. It's uh, I, I I look more on the outside. She spends a little bit more focus on the inside, but um, it, it, both of them are important.
0: Absolutely, it looks oh, like yeah. there's a few things going on with Adga.
1: Yeah, just just a few. Well, well, <laughs> well. You know, there was a new there was a meeting that Laura had there um, as a director. The directors got together and elected their new member of the EC. Congratulations to. Friend of the program, Mark Baden, on his election as what? What was his title, uh, Laura? He is a he is um, a member at large. So gotcha.
0: he's he's taking um, Ken Etchison's a seat that he vacated when he moved from his district and is no longer um, a director. So uh, we were a short one on the EC and we we're happy to have Mark. So I know Mark's going to do a great job and, and uh, congratulations to him. I hope, hope it's a lot of fun for him and I know that he's going to do great things. So,
1: Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, really. Uh, agree on that one there. Also, our new communications director started this week as well, Elizabeth Shires. Did I, did I yes. get that right? Elizabeth um, Shires from Colorado. Yep. Yes. So she started there as well. So looking forward to seeing how that communication comes out of that position.
0: I think that that is going to be such a help because it's, you know, I don't care if it's ADGA, if it's in your job, if it's in your marriage or your relationship with people that you love, communication is always key. And if you don't have a consistent, clear message to share what's going on, it's just frustrating to everybody. So
1: I'm really excited to see what Elizabeth's going to be able to do. So congrats, Elizabeth, on that one there. Um, There's also some other stuff happening in Adga, but For those of you on the Facebook world, um, you've probably seen it. And uh, we're going to stay. I'm going to take a page out of Laura's Playbook and and just really try to focus on the positive things in life, because um, at the end of the day, the world tends to get negative, but you can always choose to be positive about it all.
0: Right. And things are going to get better. I know that sounds like a broken record and maybe a little bit of a Pollyanna. Always look on the sunshine side, but <laughs> I, I do believe things are gonna get better. So um, just just keep eating it like an elephant, you know, a bite at a time and, and eventually we're gonna get there. So
1: Oh yeah. Laura, I am always I had never heard that saying until I started a podcast with you. I don't want to be a Pollyanna. And now I I, I start to use it in my active vocabulary too.
0: Oh, wow. I influenced (laughs) you. That's
1: great. Yes.
0: Honestly, Cameron, it's a very old thing. Pollyanna was a TV show like back in the probably thirties, forties. Oh. And there's a book called Pollyanna and um, Shirley Temple, I think starred. I think it was Shirley Temple was Pollyanna. In in the movie version of it, and, um, it's, she was a little, a little girl that always was positive. So I guess that's something mm. I got from my folks talking about Pollyanna, but gotcha. Anyway, it's, Hey, if you can choose to be positive or you can choose to be negative, be positive.
1: Oh, absolutely. On that one there. Well, knowing that and being a little bit more positive side, this is the first time in the whole year that Laura and I have just been on the podcast together. Um, no guests or anything here. And we just had a good um, collection of ideas, thoughts, and just thought we'd do a rapid fire episode where we just kind of go back on some of our thoughts and observations and maybe some things that were brought up by the listeners as well, or some of the things that we've had mulling on our minds.
0: Right. Because, you know, these things are interesting to talk about and interesting to explore. And, you know, perhaps if this is something that Cameron and I have chewed o- chewed over a little bit, you might be thinking about it too. Um, But not necessarily things that could fill up a whole podcast. So uh, Cameron came up with the idea of rapid fire for um, the title of this podcast. And I think it is just very fitting. So let's hit with the first one.
1: Yeah. So, uh, Laura had a great post, uh, last week, actually on our Facebook page when she was flying to Florida there, um, about what's your buck to doe ratio. And I I love it here. And the buck to doe ratio on our average was one buck to six does. And it was pretty And that ratio was across all breeds across the board, but each specific breed, we actually had different numbers as well here.
0: Right. So there were a lot of people that responded who had multiple breeds and they didn't separate it out. So
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um, I kind of lumped all of those together in um, a mixed, a mixed group. So if you responded and just said, hey, I've got Tog, Sonnens and La Mancha's, but you didn't say how many bucks to doze of each breed. I just lumped you all together. So so across the board, it was one to six. And in those mixed herds, the ones that didn't separate out, it was one to 7.1. So one buck to 7.1 does.
1: Hmm. I think the one that really jumps out to me here are our Nigerian friends. And uh, I know uh, we've, we've been called out for not spending enough love with Nigerians here. Um, and we're going to fix that. I know we are. We, we've got a guest on the docket to talk about the Nigerian dwarf breed, a very exciting guest um, that I've long admired for a long time to come on the podcast here next week, if I remember correctly with our schedules um, they're Correct, Laura?
0: Yes, next week. It is yes. going to be fun, fun. Yes.
1: But the Nigerian dwarf buck to doe ratio, which I actually thought was a little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, high on the amount of does. I thought they would have less does to bucks. Was one buck to every 3.9 does they have.
0: I don't know. I honestly, that's kind of where I thought it was because I was trying to picture like Nigerian breeders that I know, and how many does it seems like that they have versus how many bucks they have, and and I was thinking one to four. So I, that seems but, like a lot of bucks to me. But they are little. But, I get it.
1: Yeah, but to me, I I always feel like I when I go judge goat shows, especially when I go to like the southeast or. Or some Nigerian dwarf rich area, which let's be real, everywhere is a Nigerian dwarf rich area these days. Um, but I I always feel like there's a lot more at home that are at the shows. Don't you agree?
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think so.
1: Yeah, and they can bring out Yeah, and they can bring out like A strings or B strings or C strings or D strings and well I'm dragging 10 alpines to a show or 10 sables to a show they can drag like three to a show and not even worry about sanctioning excuse me
0: right no that's true
1: absolutely yeah yeah but again kind of some other ones as well that again we only had one guernsey respondent here of one one buck to two does ratio there again not a large sample size but uh again interesting there and in, in a nutshell um, and then i guess the one that really jumps out as being the highest is the sawn one buck to 10 doe ratio.
0: Right. And I, we didn't have a lot of and breeders that split their Sonnens out. I mean, we had several breeders that, again, were in that mixed herds thing. But I thought one to 10, I'm like, okay, that's that's interesting. I don't know what it says. Um, the Nubian numbers were, well, let's just go down the list so that everybody yeah. gets their breed. Yeah. So yes. said all breeds were one to six. Alpines were one buck to 7.9 does. As Cameron said, Guernsey had one to two. We had quite a few La Manches that responded, and that they came out as one buck to 6.7 does. Our Nigerians, as Cameron said, were one to 3.9. Nubians were one to 4.2, so that was a higher one, too. Or a lower one, rather, a lower ratio. <clears throat> Our Oberhausley friends were one to 7.2. Sonnens, as Cameron said, were one to ten. Sables, we only had one respondent, and it was one to five. How does that? How does that compare with what you have, Cameron?
1: Um, we probably, I'm doing like quick math in my head here. We have three right now, and we probably have we have too many sables. But let's just say we have 25 sables. We're probably at a one to one buck to eight does ratio, probably okay. roughly.
0: All right. Then our tog friends were one to five point six, and then that mixed the mixed herds, the ones that had multiple breeds, uh, were at a one to seven point one. So, um, you know, not a huge variation, but some significant variation. So I just thought that was a really interesting, just a really interesting discussion.
1: Well, or I'm going to ask. Let me ask you a question on this one here. Is okay. And this is realistically, and it might not be realistic for my herd or your herd because we necessarily don't have the numbers, but how many does do you think one buck could cover in a breeding season?
0: Hmm. I think there are so many factors that fit into that. Uh, hmm. Definitely, hmm. definitely the age of the buck. You know, if it's a, if it's a March buck kid compared okay. to a two year old, there's, there's a big difference there. Um, I think probably, I don't know. I, Can, I, 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 yeah. I I just think there's so many factors in there.
1: Per the textbooks, I've got Catherine in the background and she's kind of listening, kind of not. Um, she, uh, she said that per the textbooks, it's one buck, assuming a normal plane of nutrition and everything is good. there going on with its parts for every 50 does turned out in pasture
0: wow wow that seems like that just seems so that seems like a lot of work for him because you know what (laughs) i know those are all gonna cycle pretty close together right
1: oh yeah oh yeah
0: he's gonna be one worn out dude
1: oh i i'm exhausted just thinking about it
0: (laughs) yeah that's i mean that's you know i asked my husband he has cattle and i asked him Mm -hmm. like Rule of thumb: What did he figure for his cattle? And he said, like one bull to twenty-five cows which mm-hmm. is what he always kind of figured. But mm-hmm. uh, one to fifty, I don't know. I mean, i I think, I think there are some bucks that could do that.
1: I I think there are some bucks that could do that, but I don't think every buck can do that. Especially if they're not in their, we'll call it their prime. Yeah. So I, I think it's just just interesting to think about there. Um, you know, we're going on rapid fire thoughts. So I thought I'd fire one away.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you did. And that's, <laughs> I'll, I, I'm going to think on that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, Kinda- so one more thing on the buck to doe ratio though. Yeah. And this is just like, like those deep thoughts to kind of ruminate on a little. Does that mean anything as far as being able to prove bucks is it better to have a a lower buck to
1: dough ratio or a higher buck to dough ratio? I I think I mean, it's I think I, you I want a higher one. Right. I think, I would you, think so you want, too. You want higher because you would want them to prove out to prove out faster or to know what those things are. However, something that I've really pondered about Laura is in the current way a hobby herd is set up, generally you don't know how good an animal will be until they reach about the year two years old, generally in a hobby herd. You, you might kind of know as a yearling, but you won't know as a two-year-old. So if, and even a third-yearling, they might be a little gawky and awkward, and they can be awkward as two-year-olds as well, but, but, but just for this example, two-year-olds here. So that buck needs to be three years old and, until you figure out what he's actually throwing. However, at that point, he might not be relevant in your herd because he's already serviced all of the does in your herd as well and then you've got to think about it if if your main numbers are in your younger stock all of his daughters should be in that younger stock hypothetically yeah so re- really there's no there's no room in the inn as i as i'll say here for that buck potentially in your future unless you're going to use him on your older does but I don't know if you want him hanging around to service like three goats.
0: Right. No, I agree.
1: So it's kind of a flawed logic. If you ask me, like you would hypothetically need him to be proven out and you want to know what he's throwing, but you can't really use him once you prove him.
0: Exactly. Right. Right. So So I think think that that also speaks to letting other people use your bucks too.
1: mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally agree on that one there. So just just some thoughts there from my head.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, moving right along here, uh, I think one thing that, that kind of comes up every every couple months or so is when we talk about opening the herd books here. And again, this is this is hot to trot subject for some people, especially those those of us in the purebred Alpine world specifically.
0: Yeah, I was going to say this is a hot to trot topic for me.
1: Yeah. And it, I mean, I, I've raised the two I raised, or I have raised or ha, or are currently raising the two breeds that have an open herd book. La Mancha. I raised La Manches and I raised Sables. Um, so I get it, but, but on those two breeds specifically, I have actually never paid attention to that. They were Americans. Or they were purebreds.
0: Aha. Whereas with the Alpines, most Alpine, most French Alpine breeders, Definitely pay
1: attention to whether they're French or American. Mm-hmm. And I feel like even in the TOGs as well, um, you know, Catherine specifically points out, oh, we can't get a buck out of X goat that you like so much because she's a purebred. Not, those purebred lines don't cross well with my lines. And I'm like, honey, we can try it at least. It might be cool. It might not work though. <laughs> right. and And I
0: think. Yeah, I think there's lots of reasons. And again, I just want to state for the record, I am not a purebred snob. I'm I really am not. I mean, a beautiful goat is a beautiful goat. It doesn't matter what what herd book it is in, whether it's an
1: American or it's a purebred. And and I'm sure as a judge you feel the same way. Absolutely. I mean, we don't we don't go into the ring and we don't look at pedigrees. We don't look at any of that information. We just go and we judge the goats as a judge. So that that doesn't even concern me. I might be able to tell if it's an American alpine versus a purebred alpine. And again, that's because I'm a student of the game of alpines, I will say. However, I generally can't tell in a Toggenberg or an Oberhossley or definitely in a Nubian.
0: No, you can't, no. and And so I think that brings us back to the whole herd books being open or not being open. Um, I'm guessing that the Guernseys will be o- an open herd book as they yeah. work to build their database. So, um, you know, you'll hear people who argue and say, I have bred my American Alpines to purebred bucks for 20 generations. Why can't they be considered purebred now?
1: Yes, that that is that's a thing. That's a real thing. Yeah. And, yeah, sure. and, and I get it, but at the same time, I don't think it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter in the show ring. It just kind of depends on whatever look you're shooting for and what your herd goals are. But what I'm also going to tell you, and I'm going to stick I'm going to stick on the Alpine game is that sometimes that necessarily in the talking bird game as well, sometimes draw, crossing, you know, purebred with American, it might not work as well uh, for you in the show ring.
0: Right, and I think we've seen that time and time and time again. Again, as you mentioned, in in both Alpines and Toggenbergs, and I would say Oberhausleys, I've seen that too. Um, Sonnets versus, you know, American Sonnets versus purebred Sonnets. They're just probably just through breeding, and Lord knows, there's been a lot of progress made in a lot of breeds over twenty and thirty years. Yeah, eventually, this the, the American influence is going to end up making an animal that looks a little bit different than their purebred counterparts. I mean, I think we've definitely seen that and, Uh and again, reaching back into the Alpines, if you think back to when the sodium Oaks animals and the Shehenico animals all started being um, big winners in the show ring, they were so different from the Alpines that were winning back then that were primarily French. Um, And, and they've made a huge impact on the breed. So, I mean, that's really exciting. What I really appreciate, though, is that, you know, there's room for all of us in there. And so breed what you like, but just don't open my herd book. <laughs> <throw that> <laughs> for me, I have to have something that limits what I do. And so if I tell myself that I'm going to keep my animals um, pure and French, that is, Really limits the animals that I can add to my herd or breed to, and, and that makes me happy. I mean, it's uh, you need a limiting factor of some kind, so that's mine. But right. uh, uh, I uh, agree. Don't open it. I don't think. There's yeah. Anything that do that. I,
1: but I think the biggest thing with the purebred side of things, and one thing that I like about it as well, is it keeps my gene pool tight. So I can line breed if it works, inbreed if it doesn't um, on my jeans that I like and on my goats that I like.
0: Okay. So Cameron, yes, I'm going to open, a can, I'm going to open a can of worms. I want you to rap and fire on this one. Okay. Let's talk about sables.
1: Oh gosh. The sables.
0: That same from an outsider looking in who my only experience with sables is with a beautiful, such son and doe kid that my daughter had that, um, was pure white and I registered her Sonnen. And then by the time she was five months old, she had dark facial stripes. And all of a sudden I can't register her as a Sable because she's already been registered as a Sonnen. So now she has to be an experimental. But if I had held off on registering her at all, she could have been registered a Sable.
1: That's eight up in the head, Cameron. I, I don't I don't disagree with you on that there. And that's a conversation that the registration committee needs to take into consideration there. One thing I'm going to say about those goats, though, that do generally end up there, and I've had conversations with Chris Foster, who is a, who is someone that I would like to bring on. She is the queen of the sable world, as, I, as the people refer to her as. Um, but in conversations with her, we she has found that goats that do not have strong coloration – Generally, don't pass that coloration on to their offspring, even if bred sable. So, say you were going to breed your your son in with the with the very faint black facial stripes. There, generally, those kids, when they do come out, will come out as white.
0: Oh, so. So what I think is eight up in the head is actually a lot more intelligent than what I per- personally am. Because as a breed, you guys have decided that um, while that may qualify as sable marginally, we don't want that in our sable herd book because it's not going to breed true as a sable.
1: That That's the theory. However, some people within the sable breed... I would say I am in the minority of the sable breeders on this one here is that they, they want this here in order to increase the genetic diversity. I would rather have a truer coloration of the animal than, than having that genetic diversity that potentially could throw white.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Okay. Okay.
1: So that, that's my two cents and my opinion on that one there. Again, my opinion only, and some, some sable breeders don't believe that. And they're adamantly against that. And that's, that's fine. We can agree to disagree.
0: Well, thank you for the explanation.
1: Yeah, that, that's my two cents there. And, and again, in the Sable herd book side of things as well, there is um, a call also for a little Sable history and knowledge for those of you that don't know. Um, there has been calls for as well, if I breed a sawn in to a Sable, for example, that those kids would become Sable instead of recorded grade and they would miss the grade process to increase genetic diversity. There has been calls for that as well. However, ADGA and the registration committee has shut that down.
0: What do you think should happen?
1: If it was up to me, I would rather, I would, I agree with ADGA and then go through the grade process and then grade into the Sable breed just to strengthen that, that strength of coloration. That's my opinion, though, and some people are against me.
0: Interesting. Very interesting.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of Sable drama. It's especially been heating up with these registration issues. (laughs)
0: i can only imagine (laughs) have we chewed that topic
1: enough yeah oh yeah absolutely let's talk about this one here because laura i know this this next one you have you have talked about a lot a little bit and i know one thing you are super passionate about is mentorship within the goat world laura
0: well, I am, and and we actually had one of our listeners kind of ask about some mentoring questions, and and I thought it might be a good thing to revisit because, you know, again, yeah, I am passionate about it because I feel like, a, I feel like that that is one thing that sets the dairy goat industry apart is that most people are really good about helping new to the new to the industry, new to the breed, get started.
1: Um, yeah, I would agree.
0: And then the other thing is the fact that um, if you don't have a good mentor, you can make so many mistakes. I mean, it's it's so easy to harm the animals that you have or not be successful or get really frustrated because you don't have anybody to teach you. So I feel like it's really important to find somebody to help.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree on that, but I think the question becomes then is so I have a mentor. And, and to me, I don't think in the dairy goat world, mentorship is a formal process. I, you know, it's not like Laura goes to a goat show. She finds a little 4 h and she's like, you, I am your mentor now. You know what I'm saying?
0: Right. No, no, no. No, it's not ever like that. And, and some people have mentoring in their jobs. It's yeah. definitely not a, a formalized relationship like that where, okay, we're going to talk every two months and, and, you know, a specific goal here. And once we meet that, then we're going to set our separate ways. That's, it, I don't think it's ever like that with dairy goats.
1: Yeah. And I, I feel like it's a, it's a, It's a flowing type thing here, and it's you're always looking for a soundboard in order to run someone by it there. So I might go, and I'm going to pick on one of our guests that we've had here. If I have a question about some type of product that's on the market there, I might go visit Ashley Shield because she's going to know it because she used to work for Animart there. Or if I have a question about commercial dairying and, and numbers and games, like I asked Craig a question about benchmarking a couple of weeks ago. So Craig Coleman will be the guy to go to because he milks a lot of goats there. So, you know, I, I don't think those mentorship lines that I don't think they're ever, there isn't, there isn't a set formality in the dairy goat world with mentorship.
0: No, I don't think so either. I do think though, something, something to kind of think about a little bit, you know, after you've had like a mentor and mentee type relationship for a while, and one is doing the teaching, the others Doing the majority of the listening. Um, Maybe the mentor has sold you some animals and you've, you know, gratefully gotten those animals. There does come a time, however, when the one who's being mentored needs to kind of feel that confidence to break away and do stuff on their own. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely on that one there. And I think the important thing is, is when that does happen, that the mentor does not get does not need to feel like they're being offended by that decision, especially if they sold, if the mentee sold some of their goats, because that does happen a lot.
0: Sure. It does. Sure. It does. And, and even though sometimes first right of refusal is a nice thing to offer somebody, you don't have to do it. I mean, especially, you know, animals that you've bought as a kid and you've raised for a while and maybe they just didn't work out for you or you got a daughter out of them. You've decided it's time to move this animal on. Um, you should be able to do that and not feel like you owe a huge explanation or that you're not going to be that person's friend anymore. Because as somebody who has mentored other people, the way I feel yeah. about it, when the person you mentor starts making their own decisions and doesn't ask you for for advice every step of the way, that's a
1: successful relationship. Yeah, I, I agree on that as well there. And I don't think it's right for the mentor to come to the mentee and question them or ask them their why they sold that animal. I think it's at the discretion of the mentee to say, hey, I sold this animal and and this is why I sold it here because it's not fitting in with X, Y, and Z in my herd. And, and I think that's okay as long as they can come up with a good explanation for it. That That's the biggest thing and say, hey, I made the best decision, what was right for me, not only for for me, but my goals, my, my resources or other things there. So again, I think the biggest thing is that the mentee needs to be transparent with the mentor about this here um, in order to continue to have that type of relationship. What I wouldn't hate to see, and I do see it sometime in the dairy goat world, is that you go and you buy a goat. And I'll take, for example, I buy a goat from Laura, for example, there. And I go and I maybe sell that goat to, to someone else down the road. Maybe I go sell it to Catherine there. And then Laura gets upset for some reason, which she wouldn't do this in real life, because I didn't offer the goat to Laura. I I don't think there's any type of thing for that. Like, I think that's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I think it is too. I mean, that's, you know, unless you had some type of an agreement beforehand, especially, but even if you did, it is still their decision to do that. So, you know, I guess, I guess my point in bringing up this as part of our, as part of our rapid fire discussion is, um, be intentional When you have a relationship with somebody as a mentor or you are being mentored by somebody and keep those communication venues open, you know, talk to each other. And and when you get to the point that you're ready to to jump off on your own, that's that's a cause for celebration. It's not something to be worried about. That's a good thing.
1: One thing. I'm going to say here is that if you are selling goats, and I'm thinking about this right now as we're on this rapid fire topic here, and you would potentially want them back in the future, you go ahead and you plant that seed in that buyer's ear that day. So if I sell a buck to Laura and I say, hey, Laura, maybe I'd like to use him sometime down the road or something like that. So they know in the back of their mind if they ever need to move this guy that you're the first one to come to.
0: Exactly. But then also know... Once somebody pays their money and they take their take that animal, that is their animal. Yes. And things can happen. Nobody wants bad things to happen to animals that you buy, but things can happen. Um, life circumstances can change. You need to feel free to to do what you need to do. But again, just be honest about it. You know, yeah. Let them know what's going on.
1: Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is that you can try to track down animals all you want. But, but at the end of the day, it's not your decision to get mad of because I've held grudges from people actually. And I was like, why, why was I so mad? Because this person didn't sell me or let me know about X decision because it wasn't my decision to make. And I've, I've been there before.
0: Right. Right. You sold it to begin with. So yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: Why I sold it's a long story, but yes. <laughs> That's
0: right. <laughs> well, speaking of selling, The next little mini topic we have is about selling kids. And I know that we've had episodes before about being a good buyer and being a good seller. We probably should revisit that again, Cameron. Yes, we should. But um, something that my daughters and I have been having some discussions about is when do you know, what is a good age to know who stays and who who goes when you're looking at your new kid crop? And actually you can say that when you're looking at a first freshman or two, but um, a little background on this question, uh, the short period of time, very short period of time that I was breeding dogs. Um, my mentor said that if you look at a puppy, when they're at about six weeks of age, you get probably the best glimpse of that puppy as a mature dog. Like the way they stand, the way they move, Their width, their squareness, their levelness across the top. If you look at those things at six weeks of age, that's going to show you what that dog should look like as a mature animal. And then, of course, they go through all those gawky long stages and awkwardness and all those things. Don't look at them again until they get to be mature. Do you think that that can happen with goats?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think about baby goats like a Nigerian dwarf junior kid class, to be honest with you. Uh, you. I could judge the class, you could judge the class, Catherine could judge the class, and Joe Bloshmo could judge the class, and we could all four have different sets of reasons on that Nigerian dwarf junior kid class. Uh, and we could yeah, all put goats... Yeah, yes, the, uh, goats Goats change so much there, but the ideal age... Well, we start evaluating them right away, and, but normally we're commenting on uh, things like rump width. That's the one thing we're we're, we're looking at uh, how wide they are between the hawks. We'll look at length of bo- cannon bone. We'll look at length of body as well and width in the chest floor, but we're not necessarily going to judge, uh, necessarily strength of pasterns this, this, uh, early. We're not necessarily going to look at depth of barrel this early in their life frame. Um, we're not going to look at necessarily, um, you know, kind of strength of the head as well, because they're going to continue to unfold. And that ugly duckling might become a little bit nicer into that beautiful swan as well.
0: Well, that's so what I'm hearing you saying, Cameron, is look at the things that aren't necessarily going to change with maturity and as that animal unfolds. Because, you know, you're looking at proportions, the proportion of the width of the rump compared to the rest of the animal, the proportion of the length of cannon bone compared to the rest of the bone structure. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, a, a lot of that is well there. I can't the only thing I really can't get a good grasp for the kid is strength and substance of bone structure. That's the one thing I struggle with in kids.
0: Right. I I would I would agree with that. Because there are some kids that you look at that look like, wow man, that is that is a strong kid. And then they don't ever continue developing that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, but I think the golden – I think you can start develop. you can start develop looking at them probably and develop some type of opinion if you've got a lot of them within the first four hours after they get their first colostrum when they're standing up. Don't you agree?
0: Most of the time. You now, sometimes you get those kids that like if they were quads and they were all – uh, crowbar crowbar in there together <laughs> you can't you know <laughs> they've got the funky hawk thing going on or you know maybe they're over- hyper extended in some of their joints because they were laying funny inside i think i think those animals sometimes you have to to give them a little bit more time but um, i would say definitely or, or at least in my experience and again you know i think about some of the people that that have reached out to us that listen to this podcast and I and I think, oh my gosh, why do they listen to anything I say? Because I just don't have the perception and the experience that they do. So I don't ever want to come across like I know everything. But one thing that I have seen in my herd is that, um, you know, typically they go through the uglies when they're about three months old. And I'll look at the whole kid crop and think, I don't like. I don't think I like any of these kids. They're all awkward and and don't look like I think they should look. And then by, you know, give them another month or two and I'm like, oh, okay, that's why I kept that kid because it looks nice again. So I think you have to know your lines and kind of know what stages they go through. But, you know, look at those I, things that maybe don't change as they mature.
1: I can, I can know whether a kid is going to stay on our farm normally within the first three to five weeks. And I'll make a decision at week three. Um, we'll make a decision on week four we'll make a decision on week five. And if everything is consistent between three, four, and five, that kid will generally go if if they've reached that there. If they're kind of on the bubble where they've changed and kind of intermingled from some of the other kids that we thought were keepers, they might stay a little bit longer. And when they stay a little bit longer, we either get a little bit more attached to them or we generally say, eh, that kid's not that nice. She can, we can sell her.
0: So, do you have the same way of looking at butt kids?
1: Oh, absolutely not. Okay. Talk about that a little bit. Um, So, for me, and this is an interesting one, selling butt kids here. I generally want to get rid of butt kids as fast as they come in, assuming that there's no perceived value. I'll call it that. By perceived value, I mean their dam is a permanent champion, or their dam is a, you know... 3,400 pound milk, lactation milker, or their, their mom has done something impressive for lack of better terms. If their mom has done something impressive there, they're generally going to get a look and say, okay, you can stick around for a little bit longer. Other than that, the rest of them get put into the pile in which they go to, they go visit the pepperoni. man.
0: Right. And, and we will tend to do that too. Um, bucks that aren't pre-reserved or again, have a mom that, that I feel is exceptional. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, a small herd, you're, you're pretty picky on what, what you're going to keep and what you're not. But um, I really like to get them out as soon as they've had their colostrum and they're started on the bottle. I really want to get them out of here because a, I get attached to them. B, I don't want to have to take care of them. I just don't. Oh yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. that is the so, biggest resource but when is Laura when do you find the best time that you get the best prices for them at your local pepperoni man? that's where all that's where all but kids go That or uh, butt kids that, that get a uh, nice little rubber rubber uh, band around their 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 boy parts
0: I'm gonna admit something that's a little embarrassing yeah. with that question. I haven't taken a buck kid to the sale barn for probably three years.
1: Oh, now,
0: having, having said that, I'm please don't think that every buck that I have born gets sold as a buck because they definitely do not. Mm-hmm. But I, I place a lot in pet homes or with people that want animals to, you know, raise as, as bottle babies for a little while and then use as brush cleaners or things like that. That's where, that's the market that I get in. And, and honestly, Cameron, if I get 25 to $30 a head, I'm happy with that. As long as they're young, they're started on a bottle, they're out of here. I don't have to do anything with them. I don't have time invested in them. Um, I usually will disbud them if they want them disbudded before they leave. Um, but that's it. I don't I don't mess with them after that. So hmm. um, the few that I have taken to a sale barn, and it's been quite a while now, i um, the, the prices I get for them just really varies. My husband tells me all the time, man, the sale barn is the place to take your goats right now because goats are selling really high. And, and that's been like that for a while. But um, embarrassing as it might be, I have to admit, I haven't
1: taken any to the pepperoni man for a while. Gotcha. Well, that's OK. That's OK. Everybody's got a different market. And that's what's to me is super fascinating is one. I didn't know that. And it's, it's really cool and really awesome. But two, I, I think it's I think it's just interesting because it goes to show when you live in different areas of the country, you potentially have different outlets for your pepperoni man animals, as I call them.
0: And I'm kind of a softie. I our local sale barn, you know, my baby goats when they see people, they are like swarming around your feet. They want, you know, oh, it's food time! It's somebody who's going to play with me. Well, they don't know how to handle that at the sale barn, so they like will kick at them to make try to make a move. I'm like. Dudes, if you just walk down the aisle, they'll follow you. You know, so I don't. I just don't like to watch it. I don't like to see it. I don't. I. I want my. I'm sorry. I'm just a softie. I want my baby. I
1: understand. Little, I. I get uh, it.
0: That's how. But the fact of the matter is, definitely not every buck needs to be kept. A buck and and two, um, you know, you got to have an outlet for them. And this may be the year that I don't have a good outlet, and they will go to the pepperoni man. But I sure kind of try not to do that. So.
1: Absolutely. I think it's interesting on on the Buck kid side here, if you can get um, closer to Easter. I I know in Wisconsin at the Fenmore Livestock Exchange, I think that's what it's called there, um, in in the state of Wisconsin, is they have a big Easter sale every year, which they bring in a lot of different buyers from different ethnic classes that, that like goat meat there. And they generally get really good prices around that Easter time.
0: Oh, Interesting.
1: Yeah, and I noticed that my prices when I, we like to save, um, we'll take a we'll usually take a, a load, call it a, a load or some to the to the pepperoni man on um, you know sometime in March ish there, and and we'll band them all before they go, and, and we'll they'll sell them as weathers there, um, but they. Uh, but the pepperoni man, um, generally, we get pretty good prices for him there. I will say the pepperoni man. It's funny, though. Last year, and I don't know if I told this story on the podcast, is Catherine had uh, a buck born out of a first freshener with uh, one testicle, oh. and and uh obviously they couldn't you can't really band them there but they they i picked him up and i took him to the pepperoni man as i called him there and they sold him as a buck and somebody paid like 150 bucks for him
0: oh no well,
1: he probably <laughs> could do the job yeah i'm sure <laughs> wow um yeah but I really like the Easter time if you can hold the animals that long for the pepperoni man again, just because of the higher price now but but your dog is right uh, the the goat is very attractive right now at sale, sale barns. yeah, for sure. yes so
0: I might I don't know we'll see what we'll see what I'm able to do this year more to come on that, I guess.
1: yeah, absolutely there. Uh, Something else that came up um, in our podcast here is a listener reached out and said they wanted some advice on showing off the trailer. And what are some of the considerations for that as well here? Laura, how much off the trailer showing have you done in your in your life?
0: One time at a great show. And it was during COVID. It was Mm -hmm. last show. Twenty twenty. Pulled the trailer in, walked the goat off the trailer, walked it in the ring, walked it back on the trailer went back home. So I don't really feel like that that's probably um, a good example cuz I think I think the the listener that we had is like considering going to maybe a weekend show where maybe they don't have pins in the barn and they wanted some advice on what it looks like to show off
1: the trailer.
2: So Cameron, I think you have shown off the show off your trailer like at a show.
1: Yeah, I've done right? a little bit of that there. Um some of the key things to consider is what's the temperature going to be like? What's the weather going to be like as well there? Do you necessarily need to build off of the trailer? Uh, maybe build a pen or a fence off the trailer there for the goats to get out, to eat that grass on the ground there potentially? Um, and, and then the second biggest thing with the weather to think about is what's the airflow in the trailer like? Can you open up a lot of vents or, or um, windows in the trailer in order to get airflow moving there? One thing I like to do, especially in my trailer, and I feel very very blessed having a, a very nice trailer, is that I like to hang fans from the inside of the trailer so I'll run a drop cord, extension cord, from the show barn to the trailer in order to get air kind of moving in there back and forth.
2: Oh, very good. Do you have an, a generator as part of your trailer?
1: No, I do not.
2: Okay. Well, I'm, I drill over those low-pro... I think they're pig trailers, you know, that have the air conditioning and the the built-in fans yeah. and all that. I'm like, whoo, that'd be really nice. Oh yeah. Um I don't feel like my trailer is set up that I could show off of it easily because I don't have multiple pins in my trailer. Yeah,
1: I think that's kind of key as well, especially if you are showing junior does and senior does there. One thing that I would always take if I'm going to show off of my trailer is is an area is some extra penning. So they can get off of the trailer and get onto the grass because goats in my, and this is my opinion, they associate the trailer with stress.
2: Right. It's hard to keep, as you like to say, homeostasis when they're oh, in that yes, trailer.
1: Oh yes, absolutely there. I think that, and then anytime you can do some type of temporary fencing, either if it's, you can put in T-posts into the ground there and just hammer them in. You can do uh, just wire like I do. That's really easy. Not super sturdy for goats that like to stand on it, but again, it it is very easy to get that up there, and I would say the more room, the better, but, excuse me, one thing to consider always there is, are you going to have bucks at the show, and if you do have bucks, can you put them on one side of your trailer, and your does on the other side of the trailer?
2: Yeah, that would take some logistical um, finagling to get that to work. Yeah.
1: And, and one thing as well, especially if it's super hot, is you always want to have water to them as well. You want to put up hay there. Um, and, and one thing to consider as well there is how potentially are you going make sure that you do have room for a milk stand as well in order to monkey around with the animal, make sure they're getting milked out as well.
2: Yeah, so it sounds like it's not the easiest thing to do, but certainly if it's a question of getting to show or not getting to show, it's something. Yeah, and
1: I think from a biosecurity standpoint, some people like that as well because they necessarily don't want their animals rubbing up on people. They don't want them rubbing up on other goats potentially in the barn as well, and they want to be exposed to less risk as possible.
2: I can see that as a Mm -hmm. good point too. Another topic that has been raised at different times on social media, people talking about show awards, and I know that, um, you know, coming coming up, a lot of shows are already putting together what they're going to offer for their breed champions or their best of breeds or their um, best in show winners. So it's kind of fun to see some of the things that people come up with, and I'm sure over the years, Cameron, you probably have some standout things that you've won that really um, come forward in your mind when you think about the best types of awards. Yeah,
1: so for some reason, I'm infatuated going to the... I'll call them the South. When I think of the South, it's probably Oklahoma, Texas, um, maybe Kansas, uh, Louisiana, Mississippi... Uh, they give out belt buckles. I love, I love thinking about belt buckles because you know it's kind of that that stereotypical go chase buckles and banners type thing there in the livestock industry that we aff- affiliate with. Um, but I think buckles are so cool uh, to give out, and they give if you are a kid they give you a sense of pride to say. Hey, look at what my animal won type thing there. So, I think belt buckles are really cool, really underrated in the Midwest, and I think we need to bring them back. Well, so that brings up a question that I've got for you about buckle, belt okay. buckles,
2: Cameron. <clears throat> because my daughters and I have had had this discussion. Um, when you read the ADGA Showmanship Scorecard, and it talks about what a showman is supposed to wear, we were kind of under the understanding that a belt buckle might be a little bit too. Um, showy or draw too much attention to the exhibitor when you read how it describes the um, outfit that you're supposed to wear in showmanship. Do you feel like that that's um, just an idiot thing to think, or um, is it okay for a dairy goat showman to wear a big blingy buckle with their show whites for a show? I mean,
1: I have no problem with it. If, if, and I and there have been judges that have called that out type thing and, and said that and saying that it takes away from the overall costume, in my opinion as a judge. And again, this is my opinion, and I I'm, I'm not judging a lot of shows next year, so I can go ahead and say this here, um, is that it does not distract away from it there because sometimes you know you're going to a goat show and it's either a twine belt or a belt buck or a blingy belt buckle. Give me the blingy belt buckle for the over the short over the twine belt any day and two I don't think it makes them look any less professional Um, I think it just adds a little style honestly shows some personality good
2: well I definitely think that buckles are beautiful and I've seen I've seen some dairy goat kids with some just pretty dang impressive ones and again they're from those places down south so they kind of know how to do it I want to give a little bit of love to um, one of the Oklahoma groups Last year, I got the coolest um, coffee mug for a Best of Breed award. I got a really neat um, wooden pizza peel. I, I call it a pizza peel that was wood burned with their herd logo and a beautiful goat on it that is just really cool. And then for a Best in Show, a really nice rolling tack box. And I just I, I love this type of awards that are really useful and like this talk tack box has, um, um, the show on it in the best in show award. It was just, it was just really cool. So, um, I'm a, I'm a big proponent for
1: you. Yeah. Functional ones. awards over, um, pretty awards. Does that make sense?
2: Absolutely. Because yes. It, it, yes.
1: Uh, and if you think about, Go ahead. Not yes, tro- not trophies. I'm not a big fan of trophies because what do trophies do? Trophies just sit and they get old and they collect dust. So, and I don't think that's and you know, it, it's great in the moment and it's cool to display at a fair or something like that there, but it goes home and it collects dust there. Why not invest in in something other than that where you can take I think about it like a chair, like a like a big big old recliner chair or something like that maybe not a recliner chair but maybe a, a lawn chair and you can put your show's name on the back there and that is free advertising then for the next year's show when they take it to other shows so think about that you can continue to perpetuate your own brand through other people winning stuff at your show
2: yeah i think so too i think so too and of course you know what to me at the end of the day the rosette is is plenty of an award. I really don't need something more than that because that's not why I go to a show. But um, you know, those useful trophies. If, if you're dead set on giving some type of a tangible award, those
1: usable those uh, usable trophies or, or use, usable awards, excuse me, are mm-hmm. really awesome. Absolutely on that one. There, so just some fun little show award ideas as well. Um, again, good, good to give out and think about as we go on to show planning season for most of the Midwest. I know our friends in Florida have already started.
2: Right. You know what? If I had gone, if I had gone to Florida one week before that, I could have gone to the South Florida fair
1: and watched the oh. show. So wish that I, I'll
2: have to, I'll have to plan that out. Better <laughs>
1: next time. Absolutely. On that one there. One last thing I wanted to talk about really quick here is let's talk about, how we can have a positive impact with our dairy goats during kidding season one thing that really not grinds my gears but really might give the wrong perception and this is totally my opinion as well here of the dairy goat industry is during kidding time we all get really excited when goats are about to have babies there but mucus drips or animals that come out really all all wet and, and flurry there and fluffy and you snapping pictures from there that necessarily doesn't give the public or your non-dairy goat friends the best image of the industry don't you agree laura
2: oh 200 and i'm gonna jump on that a little bit too for the love of pete please don't post I'm not sure if this goat is bred and show a picture of her bottom and ask ask people to give you, to give you their opinion on it. Just don't find an ultrasound, go to your vet, pull blood. But you know, really nobody wants to see a goat's butt. I mean, they just don't. It's bad. I mean, come on. We all like to see udders, but gross goat bottoms nobody yeah. wants to see that that's that's not that's not helping yeah. our image eater either and yes that, sure
1: that is doesn't. the biggest thing is that again talk to a mentor about that as well there maybe ask a friend to come out to the farm if they have questions on it there or consult your local veterinarian on those things very important there
2: yeah try to try to show your baby goats like in a positive light. I would totally say that, you know, not half covered with placenta and blood and yuck. And, you know, and we hate to think about PETA stepping in and animal rights groups who complain that we don't have good husbandry practices, but don't give them food either. You know, show, show the professional side of what you're doing, not the gross.
1: Oh yeah. When I see those, or I see people like, taking videos of their goats having birth. I'm just thinking, what why aren't you there with a the towel? <laughs> like Right, I gro- yes.
2: Right. Oops, you watch that kid hit the ground. Uh, that
1: goats gotta uh, breathe. Uh, That's always my first consideration there. So really during this kidding season, we, we love seeing excitement and new baby goats there, but we want to make sure that the industry is portrayed in the best light possible. And not in Oftentimes, people let their excitement get the best of them instead of thinking about what this really looks like from a non-goat person perspective.
2: Yes, I would agree with that 100%.
1: Yes, that that's all I got there.
2: So, Cameron, for the last part of our segment, would you
1: like to introduce
2: our new project?
1: Yes. So um, we started as well here again. Um, we've got a great opportunity for uh, our listeners and their herds to be involved in Goat Gab. We are actually starting a sponsorship opportunity for your herd. We're calling it the herd level Goat Gab sponsorship here. The herd level is designated for individual herds to help play an active role in supporting Goat Gab while getting your herd name out there to our active listener base. The biggest thing that we are asking for is for your help in order to continue to support our podcast and help your herd grow as well.
2: We do not have the goal of um, retiring both Cameron and myself due to the success of Goat Cab because that's just not, that's not where we started and that's not what we want at all. Um, really we just kind of would like to be able to help defray some of the costs and it and it does there is a charge every month for hosting it and for um what we use to edit and so forth. And so um, you know, that's kind of what we'd like to do. And frankly, I can see us you know, depending on the success of it, I would like to turn money back into the dairy goat industry. Um, you know, maybe sponsoring something for kids, maybe sponsoring awards at the national show, maybe um doing shirt giveaways or or things like that. I'd I'd like to see us be able to do things like that And sponsorship will definitely help. Yeah.
1: And again, we are not asking for a large amount of money and I think it's actually a pretty good deal for what you're getting as well here. We've got a whole bunch of examples here, but what it's going to take is it's going to cost $10 to sponsor a whole episode here that you will be mentioned twice during the podcast as well. There. So again, $10 for some great exposure of your herd as well here. I'm going to put a document out on our Facebook page here, probably Wednesday night in order explaining more and how to get signed up as well as a herd sponsor in the process as well. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to go any further than that. And we're going to leave it at that.
2: And no pressure. And we're still going to keep doing goat gab Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, just, thought that maybe some people might like to take advantage of the fact that we have a pretty good listenership and this could be a good way to get your name and your herd out there. So just for what it yep. is. So um, the last thing I want to say and Cameron said something about this earlier for our Nigerian dwarf listeners, and we know we've got a bunch of you and we love you. We are showing you the love next week. So uh, we have a, an amazing guest who's going to be talking about all things Nigerian with us next week. So Please stay tuned
1: for that. Yes. As always, listeners, thank you for your time. Uh, we do appreciate your feedback as well. So, if we do well, um, so excuse me, if we don't do well, let us know. We like the feedback. If we do do well, tell a friend about the podcast. Maybe have them tell a friend as well. Little word of mouth, guerrilla marketing on this one here. As always, you can find us on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, really wherever you get your podcasts. Go and like our Facebook page as well. Like, subscribe, rate, review, do whatever you need to do in order to help us grow this thing.
2: Thank you for being our faithful listeners. And if you're new to us, we hope you've enjoyed what you've heard too. And um, we will catch you next week. Thank you so much.